What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Hollywood Already Did Its Marvel Pair Ups Show, Loki Through the Years, where we take every episode of Loki and we pair it up finally with a time travel movie, hoping to explore its themes, characters, ideas, rules, and how these wacky genres keep coalescing and moving the Marvel Universe forward. As always, I am your host, Blake Schultz, and with me is Terrence Tatum. Hello, everyone. And Jamie Jurak. Hello, greetings. And here we are with episode three. We are halfway through it. We got one of the best episodes of Doctor Who and Star Trek that I've seen in years. <laughs> uh, some really great character building and incredible atmosphere reveals everywhere. I'm hearing some conversations that this is a filler episode and I think this is building characters in a way that you can really only do in the television space. These are moments that we don't get in full-length feature films because they have to be, you know, 90 minutes to two and a half hours, and then they cut those down to you know, more theaters to make more money. And here we can sit and drink on a train for an hour if we want to. And this fan of My Dinner with Andre will sit and do that for some time. Jamie, <laughs> what did you think of episode three of Loki. I loved it. I mean, first of all, it's the first major MCU character to come out as queer. You don't um, think the Russo brothers cameo in Endgame uh, no. counts? <laughs> um, and I mean, as a bisexual person hearing Loki like say it, like say the words, a bit of both was like, I I, I mean, uh, Terrence literally like tweeted at me cause it was, he knew that I, I lost my mind. It was the happiest I've ever been um, other than, you know, seeing Elizabeth Olsen and Catherine Hahn be really close to each other. Um, but yeah, no, I loved it. And you know what's, you know, the filler episode thing makes me so mad. People who say that, I think one, don't understand television. And two, I, I feel like they're all about the destination. They're not about the journey. People who call this a filler episode just want to know how it's going to tie into the MCU. They just want to know where it's headed. And that's, I don't, that's not how you enjoy content. That's not how you consume content. Um, this episode, we learned so much about Loki. We learned about Sylvie. Um, I think calling it a a filler episode is an injustice to television in general. Um, because, I mean, a filler episode is like, I don't know, the kind of episode where I think of like, uh, the, the Zeppo, which is a Buffy episode where you follow Xander when he's like on shenanigans and losing his virginity while the rest of the team is like dealing with an actual legit apocalypse. That's like a funny, silly thing. This is an episode where the main characters got to explore and learn about each other and we got to learn about them. And so anyone calling it a filler episode loses my respect. As they should. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you there. I think it's weird. I think a lot of, especially sci-fi does, good sci-fi when you're doing a series typically starts taking its time around the middle of whatever arc that they are telling. So as a person who's a huge Star Trek fan, I was like, oh no, this is this all this all tracks. Like a lot of times they get stranded on stranded on a remote planet or they go back in time and like it's just literally two player two characters figuring out that they're themselves. And that's kind of what this is. I think where some people are coming in, I get it a little bit, is that we only have six episodes. So they're kind of like, hey, if this is episode three and we only got six, at some point in this episode, or at least the very next, we should sort of start getting a little bit more of the thread of what this entire season series is about or the season is about and i don't think we've quite gotten there yet and that's where a little pe some people are having an issue but me i can sit here and watch the two of them have a conversation all day and that just that satiates my appetite uh 
the sequence of them just talking is phenomenal. I also think that we do get a bit of bang for our buck here because that that long take at the end of this episode is fantastic. Like it's a really well intense uh, sequence, and it just ends on a what I I just die laughing because the look that Sylvie gets when like, well shit, we're stuck here, and she just turns around. I was like, that's great, I love it, and it just goes to black like this. That's that's awesome. Um, that music drop was so good. It is. It is. I, I think that that's fun. I love. I can watch uh, Loki and and Sylvie respond to each other all day i love that they are sort of learning what each other that they basically have gone through the exact same thing what on their timeline i i love that they're figuring each other out and kind of like oh i've been through that but mine's slightly different and you sort of using her as a linchpin to sort of see what he has been going through uh and you you learn how deeply learn how much he and frigga he really misses his mom and i hope that renee russo shows up in this series somewhere because i think he should have that moment that Thor had with with her uh, in, 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 in game. I completely agree with you. And where I disagree with a lot of the conversation about this episode on the internet, and Jamie kind of said it, we're try- we want to see how this ties into the MCU. We're only three episodes in, so where's my big bang? I think you got it in that conversation. The big bang of this episode that moves this story forward is what we need to do in time travel and multiverse stories, which is go, what is the difference here? We're now learning about a character, Loki, and another character, Loki Sylvie, and their differences and similarities. We are seeing a lot of oh she knows that she was adopted and how does that change her character from loki not knowing he was adopted we are witnessing what makes these characters tick in a way that will generate a payoff later on in the show we don't know everybody's full motivations this is kind of building in the moment before and the characterization that we would have complaining about watching jumping to episode six would be like watching Endgame without iron man one two and three and, and, and complaining that Iron Man 2 was filler and that Age of Ultron was filler. And if there's one thing the MCU has done, it has taken every little part of every movie that we don't really care about and gone, did you know that was the most important thing in the whole world? Look so at this- you, Dark World. The best, I think the greatest like FU Marvel has ever done is like, guess how important the Dark World is. I think that's hilarious. Uh, I don't even though that movie is a bottom tier it's like it's at least it's got so many good characters so it's fine to like revisit we learn also that all of these variants in the TVA are variants these aren't homegrown people in the world of Zion these are people who were abducted and are now being used against their will this is an organization that is not to be trusted an institution that is lying these are things we didn't know this changes everything about Owen Wilson we need yeah. him to get on that jet ski because I bet that man was jet skiing all around the world in his he was life jet skiing all the time left instead of right and whatever other rules these giant space lizards are dictating we have done something that we also desperately need to do in time travel movies which is generally stakes it's really hard to go what matters when nothing matters a big problem i know some people have with doctor who is that eventually they just start hand waving it's timey why me and he's just going to go back we're going to fix it and we're going to snap our fingers and deus ex machina every problem away i know a lot of people when endgame was doing their time travel was well why can't we now just go back in time and get tony we can't just go back in time and get natasha now nothing really matters we can just go back. It doesn't affect our present. <clears throat> Why can't we just bring these people back? It's hard to generate tangible emotional stakes. And by having them land in a event where the world is going to end and then having these sci-fi devices not work and they now need to get on this train and survive, 
alters the show in a way we hadn't had. So far, we were playing in rules that didn't really matter. I was like, okay, whatever. He's a variant. He doesn't really matter to the MCU. This Loki can live in this TVA world and we can do 20 seasons of this. We can Rick and Morty it in eight seasons of Loki and Sylvie. Loki and Sylvie forever. We can just keep going. But now we've established that they can die. These are mortal immortals. And if we alter the rules and alter the stakes a bit, it does matter to them. She's furious when she can't get the time travel device from them. When they need to get back and it's drained and we need, we can't even do the rest of the show until this battery gets charged. That adds something that the show was missing. We now have a ticking clock and higher stakes and we don't know what's going to happen. We've been left off in a part of it where we just, we, we don't know. Yeah. We also don't know. I mean, because it, shifted to the to, to the planet but i mean to the moon but we also don't know what sylvie wanted in the tva like that she was clearly going after something uh she she knew something there and so there's something that she's not telling loki that she's aware of that's happening in that place um and we, until she gets back there i don't think we'll ever we're not going to figure that out but I, I that's what's also fascinating like she knows something i want to know what the hell she knows that's in there and this also built the world in a bigger way for me. We have never seen a planet like this in the MCU. And it was just like contextually different to see it. And it it's part of the fun of sci-fi, of Rick and Morty, Star Trek, Doctor Who, all of these other world space bounding adventures is seeing these different planets and the different rules and different societies and even watching how their magic had different rules and explaining it to each other. Oh, I'm creating illusions and the dagger's not real. And, oh, you have to get into their mind and change their memories and get what you want. And seeing the difference in these characters who are ultimately the same person, but in many, many ways are very different which even leads us to wonder if this even is truly a variant of Loki. Are we going to get an Enchantress? Is she her own character? Or is there, as I've said it before, a real multiverse and the TVA's big lie is saying that there is one t main timeline? Or are there other TVAs that are justifying their other They're one all, timelines? Right. Where is this Sylvie from? Why did she denounce being a Loki? There's a lot of interesting things happening. And how much of a badass is she? Because she doesn't know that her powers don't work in the TV. And she kind of has a, a mental, she looks like, oh, crap, my powers are working. And then she just goes and starts whooping ass. And she is a great hand-to-hand -hand combatant. I'm like, whoa, well, yes. damn. <laughs> uh, she's so cool. I love her so much. I'm just so happy she exists. <laughs> All of it, like, oh, God. I just, um, it just, it, it's not, I'm not at WandaVision level of, thrilled but like i'm like it's close in terms of just how much joy this show is bringing me yeah okay. also shout out to director kate heron for giving the episode where loki is confirmed bisexual all bisexual lighting all 40 minutes of that episode was Look, purple was, purple is my favorite color so i'm sitting here like this is a good time let's yeah. watch all of this I'll happily sit and watch anything that looks like an old GameCube. I think that's <laughs> going to be great. I don't see any issues with this. Uh, Prince would be proud. Right. Mm. The episode was great. The California Raisin aesthetic for <laughs> all the lighting was phenomenal. I liked seeing just people that we never see before. I, I liked building it up. Obviously, it's a huge deal having Loki be bisexual for the, the simple reasons that representation is obviously very important and this episode matters a lot to a lot of people, but we are also 
being accurate to this character all the way back to Nordic mythology and his yeah. roots. There's never really been a, it. It all is great. I also love that it's, it's, it's a throwaway. It's so simple, but even just the, the him slap slamming down his cup and saying another, just like his brother did. I was like, Oh, I like it. You guys are definitely still brothers. That was, oh, yeah. and Tom singing. Oh yeah. my gosh. I'll stop off for any of these fun character moments. I, I think this is what Marvel has always done best. And if we're going to get whole shows dedicated to these moments, that's what I want. I want Sam and Bucky talking about symbols, whipping the shield around in the woods. I want Vision and Vision talking about the ship of Theseus for 30 <laughs> minutes. And I want Loki and Sylvie to talk about all of these things. This this is this is the meat in the Marvel sandwich. The action is just the bread and bread goes because bad. We don't get this in the film. We don't we don't get the luxury of having these time moments or these moments. But as comic book readers, this is the majority of the book <laughs> is the is the meat and potatoes. The action sequences are usually just one big splash page. They've been expounded upon in film, but that's where we get the majority of what we want is in the the, the slower, smaller, more intimate moments, which we can now get in this media. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love action. I'm, I mean, I'm a sucker for it. But when I, when I read comics, the action is like my least favorite part of comics, uh, because it's, you know, it's not as interesting as like I, I want. I, my favorite comics are when they're just talking and expanding, and it's that's totally becoming true of the the content um, on the screen. And like again, I want to see action. That long shot was so good, but they're balancing it so well, and I'm so impressed. Well, guys, that was episode three of Loki, which we obviously loved. And we have chosen a very specific series, although I just realized that Looper would have also been very good for this episode. But c'est la vie. Here we are <laughs> talking about one of the most prominent, important, influential science fiction franchises of all time. It is time to talk about Star Trek with a small focus on the fourth movie and the J.J. Abrams universe. But as we have done with all of these, we will be taking the context of the franchise as a whole. And I think this series matches up with this episode of Loki, not just for its time travel, but also for its aesthetic, for how it does sci-fi, the difference between science fiction and science fantasy. Terrence, tell us about your love and admiration of Star Trek. I'm One of the huge... only shows you love without any diversity. Well, and then it's, it's weird because that's where it sort of it fixes itself as it goes along. Because I, um, I grew up on, I'm not that familiar with the original series until I started going back and watching the films. I grew up on The Next Generation and then Deep Snake's mind blew my, blew my freaking brain because I'm like, Avery Brooke, what? what are we doing there's a black man that's the, the head of all this so those are the that's when i sort of started falling in love and based on that i went back and started watching the the, the original series and the shows and i and i just fell in love i love i love when this show gets just the small intimate stuff and this is what this episode reminded me of because when you put them on a planet you basically strand strand them there like they're stranded they can't do anything you kind of just have those moments of heart to heart i know we're talking about the films but that original series is an episode with its time traveling one called the city on the edge of forever which is probably one of the best time traveling episodes that they've ever had but for how we were talking earlier where it gets small and intimate and just starts doing the heartfelt stuff that was an episode that star trek really did because mccoy loses his mind a little bit goes back into the past and, and Spock and and uh, and Kirk have to go back to fix it. And while there, Kirk falls in love and he's madly in love with this woman. But for him to fix the timeline, he has to let her die. And it's just like, oh, well, oh, Jesus. 
I guess you didn't watch Back to the Future 3. <laughs> yeah, rules don't matter. We can do whatever we want, Marty. Marty, oh. I'm a god! <laughs> but it, it's moments like that that Star Trek does in its entire history was like, look, at this. yes, we're this big space epic and do can do whatever we want, but when it gets down to the nitty-gritty, like we're telling the story between humans at the heart, like with humanity, and, and we're just telling a heartfelt story that I think anybody can sort of relate to. And that's what Star Trek is just known so well for doing throughout all the series. Jamie. I, I feel like I'm um, the world's most casual Star Trek fan where I've seen like a lot of next gen and original series and I've seen a good amount of the movies. And it's fun because I feel like the way I feel about Star Trek is how like most people probably feel about everything I really love, like normal people um, that I get too hard. So I, um, so the J.J. Abrams, especially the first one I've seen so many times. Um, and then Star Trek Four is my favorite Star Trek anything. Um, I've, I, could, I could watch Star Trek Four every day forever. It is so funny. Um, and I never really thought about it until watching it again yesterday that they do not care about time travel rules in that movie. They, the one time um, Scotty like trades, um, uh, trades like information like tech to this guy and someone's like, aren't you worried about how that's gonna affect it? And he goes, eh, he probably is the guy who invented it anyway. And that's the only time they ever care. And you know what? Sometimes stuff like that is like, no, you need to address it. But in Star Trek four, when they're going back in time to the eighties to save the whales, it doesn't matter. It truly doesn't matter. Um, and uh, I so I ended up having like a big Star Trek marathon yesterday. I watched all the um, the three new ones and then I watched uh, Khan, Search for Spock and Voyage Home. And I realized I'm a little bitch for Bones. I'm like, I didn't realize how much I love Bones. He's my favorite character. He's Earned Bones or Past Bones? Or just, or bo all the Bones, uh, any kind of Bones. I'm really, like, <laughs> he's, like one, he's sexy, but like, he's funny. He's, fu he's the funniest and that's, and that's my bread and butter yeah. um but um ultimately it, it was an interesting journey because I, I used when the 2009 movie came out i was obsessed with it i saw it so many times and now i barely think about it i haven't watched it in years and i think that's because of the mcu the mcu kind of just came along and and just was dwarfed so better yeah it dwarfed uh, the star trek franchise yeah um, but I will say the cast of the new movies, it's one of the best casting. From top to bottom. Ever. And even when they, whatever they add on, like, like oh, cool. Now the villain's Idris Elba, like, shit, yeah, let's do it. Um, no, those that, they've been well cast. I, I enjoy all three of the JJ films. Um, even the third one. The third Shout one feels- Justin Lin, because he did the third one. That's true. But the third one, I like the, I, the most like a Star Trek episode. Like it feels like a Star Trek episode. It does the whole stranding on a, on a specific uh, place and kind of that's what you do. Um, the other two are definitely JJ's bread and butter type of like, let's go bigger, better. And I don't quite know how I'm going to end this, but I will one day. You never know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's funny because my journey to Star Trek started as many of my pop culture journeys did with action figures. And finding ones from the original line at a flea market and buying them. And my mom being very excited to show me Star Trek and me immediately going, this is slow and boring and cheap. And I want to watch Star Wars instead. Which led to then a lot of, you know, as I grew older, conversations of Star Wars versus Star Trek and science fantasy versus science fiction. And sci-fi is meant to, you know, deal with real world things right. and 
get heady and be about something and fantasy is fantasy and it's fun and I think as all of us have grown up and learned that gatekeeping is terrible and that you can in fact enjoy all versions of Star, both Trek and Wars and otherwise, these conversations that we had at old arcades and old comic book shops are meaningless. Uh, but it really wasn't until the J.J. Abrams 2009 version that I saw after one of my first Comic-Cons and must have been the first reboot that I, I felt did it right, that grabbed a young audience, that pulled in the old audience, that really hit on all cylinders and built something new without throwing away all the old ones. They did a good job of building this time travel, multiverse, new version of the world, whatever you want to call it. But it's funny, Jamie, how you kind of bring up that their rules of time travel in these Star Trek shows have always sort of been dependent on the story that they're telling. Correct. Terrence brought up the city at the edge of tomorrow, which is about, you know, putting the greater good above love it's a very much a story of doing what's better for everybody and not making selfish decisions even though you could have a doc brown train and do whatever you'd like <laughs> then you get to star trek 4 where we're just going back in time to the 80s i don't really know why we got to save these whales we've got to derail the franchise for a while and give you some silly, campy, fun nonsense. But if anything that Star Trek and Doctor Who have taught me is that if your movies and shows have a login of timeline, you can do whatever you'd like. You're going to, yeah. You're going to, you're going to end up, like Deep Space Nine, I think, wound up having somewhere in their, their run a 30th episode of like the original Star Trek tri Tribbles episode. So they just literally did a time travel episode of just going back and recreating an episode with the Tribbles and just merging merging the two shows together. It's fascinating. I got to watch Deep Space Nine. Oh, Deep Space Nine. Deep is, Space Nine is amazing. It's phenomenal. none of it. Like, Deep Space Nine is phenomenal. If you want to do like, some headier, like dealing with race, they were like, "Fuck it, we're in it. We got a black, we got a black commander. We're going in. We're going to talk about I'm all this shit." Putting it on the list. <laughs> no, that's definitely a show that started out, and then all of a sudden was just like, "We're going to yeah. do the first interracial kiss. We're going right. to get some LGBTQIA. The first, we're going to do first this." First season of it is trying to figure itself out, and then they were like, "Look, we can't," because they came on at the same time as Next Generation was. The first season of that, they're like, "Let's compete with that," and they're like, "You know what? We can't be that." Ethic. We're going to do our own thing. And they just start getting headier and headier as they went along. It's great. It's, a, yeah. it's the best like alternative to space adventure movies. Like for every Star Wars I get, I want a heady, thought-provoking movie. And I think the, the what, what are they, the Kelvin universe? Is that it's what Kelvin we call timeline, it? Yeah. That's right. The Kelvin timeline is the a really good epitome of both. Because you get these really big galactic, incredible action set pieces and bombastic sequences. And then you shrink it down to the Chris's having a conversation or the Spock's having a conversation, which brings us into why we're using this storyline with this episode, which as we've kind of talked about, the aesthetics were abandoned on a planet. There are a lot of reasons why Loki is clearly taking from both Star Trek and Doctor Who, but the main one is meeting yourself. This is one world, unlike Time Cop, which you talked about, and unlike Southland Tales, which I'm sure we'll never talk about, where two molecules cannot occupy the same space if they're the same. A lot of time travel movies get into the, if I go back in time and I touch myself, <laughs> then of course I will destroy the world. 
We see it in Time Cop with the villain. We see it in Southland Tales with Sean William Scott shaking hands with himself and destroying everything. I love that wacky movie. Wow, I haven't seen it and it just way to ruin it. Jamie, (laughs) I assure you, the it's journey is I, way more important I, than the so bizarre. The director of that movie blocked me on Twitter. <laughs> she didn't, okay. I think it was that movie, right? She like, it's a woman, right? Who directed that? Um, uh, it's the same director of Donnie Darko and I don't. Oh, then maybe I'm thinking of something else. And no, it was Richard Kelly who did. Oh, okay, okay. I'm thinking of another movie. I don't know what I'm thinking of, but I need to watch Southland Tales. You do. No, it's, it's, it's wacky. It's, it's bizarre. Well, yeah. I'm trying to know. What director blocked me on Twitter? I'll figure this out and get back to you. It's a young, yeah. youngish rock is in that movie, so enjoy. A very young rock, Justin Timberlake, Sean William yeah. Scott. Oh, I love Sean Scott. I'm like an American Pie. Uh, oh, yeah. So you're in it, then. He's American great. Pie. His yeah. follow-up to Donnie Darko, the studio gave him carte blanche. I mean, it was a recipe for success. There's and there's so much one person and one person alone who likes that movie, and it's me. Yes! <laughs> I, it sounds like I will love it. Um, but the 2009 Star Trek, it's so funny because I, I messaged you, Blake, when I was watching it, and I was like, whoa, this really does pair well with Loki. I was like, I, I didn't, I hadn't, I didn't really think about it until I was in it. Um, and also just the, the whole concept of that movie being like it's created its own alternate reality and and it addresses it and the fact that Nimoy comes in is like all it's just a it's a really awesome top tier version of how do we cr- get the same characters and put them in the, a whole new thing and make it make sense where it's you're like that's not in the original because it doesn't matter and they really address that hard and I think that's cool and I think that um I think it really works for for what's happening on Loki. Yeah, it's interesting because the big, you know, connecting set piece is the destruction of Vulcan, the end of this world, how it is affecting, um, it's too hot today, Zachary Quinto and his journey as Spock, dealing with being the captain of a ship, being unable to express any emotion because it will mean he is not capable of doing this mission. And then having met Leonard Nimoy and being told your friendship is going to be so meaningful and important I'm telling yeah that guy's going to mean more to you than anything you ever have to think about one of my favorite Star Trek moments uh, with the fact that in in search for Spock that spoiler Kirk's son dies and he is so unaffected in comparison to how Spock's death like his son might as well be a piece of garbage (laughs) he doesn't care because his death meant he got his husband Spock back (laughs) we all have our priorities Jamie we all need a Vulcan man sometimes and you know you have this moment of like I don't know he's not emotionally compromised the guy's a rock I'm telling you I'm emotionally compromised. (laughs) And it's interesting because we're seeing a lot of different things, right? We're seeing thematically how the destruction of your home and your planet affects these characters, even though they're no longer in their proper timeline. In theory, none of this matters. But Loki, who has just read about Ragnarok and seen his own death, is devastated by this. And it is starting to motivate, and I'm sure it will more, motivate the decisions he is now making. The knowledge of this future is what justifies the agency of the episode. The similarly in Star Trek, the destruction of Vulcan, the agency of Leonard Nimoy, and the information that that gives Chris Pine to then motivate him to do all these things to Spock that he knows are for the best. 
he's now going to destroy everything that Zachary Quinto has built to prove that he's emotionally compromised, not even to just selfishly lead the ship, but to prove to him that his greatest weapon is going to be this vulnerability in this human side that he has rejected for the sake of this mission. And I think we get an inverse of that with Loki, where he has been mostly calculating, mostly selfish, and in learning more and more about his death and in learning more about Sylvie and her life and how she has all this other knowledge and being adopted and the changes in his family, seeing him become more human, that it, it's almost the knowledge of trauma as opposed to the experience of that trauma that's awakening the human side of these characters or at it's, least pushing it to the front. It's fascinating because we're, 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 we, we get to see two different Lokis because we saw a Loki that actually did deal with the death of his mother and did deal with what the death of his father he, we saw him and he, he did become more human now we're seeing a different version of that who he didn't actually see it he saw he didn't actually live it he has seen it and has read about it and now how does this affect him if he doesn't actually physically go through it which is fascinating because he's he seems to be very deeply affected more so by the Frigga thing than than his dad which makes sense because he wasn't that close to his father well he sees seems... his dad oh no that was in Ragnarok I'm thinking of the Odin sleeping Thor yeah yeah um him actually fading before Hela just comes and wreck shops um, he he sees that part and he sees that like he dies. So he sees all of this and it just like, it's, it's coming at that same space in a different way. And we as an audience are, have the luxury of seeing him approach that or see that via two different windows, which is, it's, it's fun. I completely agree. And it's, yeah, it's interesting. Cause then, you know, in Wrath of Khan, I think less effectively, they use the same trick to just be like, hey, is this Khan guy dangerous? And Leonard Nimoy is like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Not nearly as good no. challenging, but it's very interesting to watch us deal with characters meeting each other and how that changes them. Because in theory, these should all be one-to-ones, but obviously they're not going to be. We're going to have new timelines and new Lokis and new Sylvies and we haven't even seen the repercussions of this bomb, but well, yeah, I was going to say that's the biggest thing about this episode is that the TVA is not in it, other than the very the very first ten minutes, and so it's just the two of them. So we don't have we have no clue what the world is, what's happening around them, and the timelines that are happening around them. They could come in, people could come into this world, or they could get off that planet and go somewhere else, and all hell is broken loose. Like we have no idea what's happening, other than what's happening with the two of them, which should be fascinating um, for whatever we get in the future. I have a question for you guys. Uh, in in terms of the Loki Sylvie of it all, uh, it's been a bit of a debate on the internet whether or not you should ship them as a couple. Uh, and I I know my answer, um, but I'm curious if what you guys think about that. If you think it's messed up and gross, or if it's like yeah, totally cool. I am overall not a big shipper when it comes to fandoms and all of this. I know why people enjoy it. I'm not disparaging it. It's very fun. It's not really something I think about when I'm watching these shows, but I think if I had to give an answer, I have two and they're weird. <laughs> My first one is it probably, probably, do whatever you want. These are fake characters. I don't care. Ship them if you want. They're attractive people. It's fun to watch attractive people smooch. Whatever. Um, you know, don't, you, we don't have the ability to date ourselves in real life. I don't think it's that harmful of a thing. That being said, I guess if you did meet yourself, wouldn't you be a little 
like yeah furious yeah. <laughs> that's the thing i that this has been like like you date your clone has been a debate forever and i am a hundred percent confident that yes i would date a clone of myself and the fact that like now it's coming like what if it's you but a different gender the, the, um, like a gender that you'd yeah. be whatever and, you're attracted and to gender, again yeah. as a bi person i would have gone for lady jamie either way you'd be like yeah i'm good but, but, but <laughs> also if there was a dude jamie heck yeah <laughs> uh, so i think that people that are like that's gross to ship them it's not like they're siblings yeah, so they're know. not they're, they're not siblings no you're like playing a, in very i feel like the rules matter in your timeline right in yeah. my timeline incest is bad incest is always bad <laughs> But, it's not but I, it's not incest. Right. And I also think that the two of them, just even in comics, that the sexuality of a Loki is so fluid that it's kind of like, hey, I could easily see them banging out each other and it wouldn't it wouldn't seem so odd to me. I'm like, no, that tracks. That if all makes I sense. would hook up with myself, there is no doubt in the world that Loki wouldn't hook up. <laughs> that is just like there's no doubt in my mind. It's a fact. Um, and I and I just like people online being like, don't ship them, it's gross. It's like, first of all, mind your own business, who's shipping who? And second of all, really think this through. Because I think Loki would- I also think the internet has thought of much grosser things. Yeah, I think we I, talked about this recently, I think last week, where it's like, we've gotten like more prude, I think, as a culture. Uh, see, I don't know. Because every time like a Predator movie comes out, they're like, nah, I'd bang it. And I'm like, well, that that's not okay. Well, I, that's weird. <laughs> Everyone want everybody wants Tom. You got your Tom, thing. Uh, Tom Hardy and his symbiote together. I feel like that's kind of weird. I'm about that. I'm all about Eddie and Venom romance. That's something that I am like. Stupid. Only, only. So it's if like the I Venom said, symbiote... this isn't my world. I'm yes, not a. Only it's Venom, my world. If only the Venom symbiote is talking and giving a dialogue the whole time, that would be fantastic. That would be. That's when it's it's good. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't have a super strong opinion on it. I have your fun, have your fiction fun. Don't yeah. hurt anybody in the real world. That's yeah. kind of my only advice. <laughs> I, I agree. Like, yeah, I've never really, I don't really get go down the shipping uh, corridor uh, either, but I really, I, for this, these are the two characters that I'm like, if they're going to do it, I don't see why not. I feel like Loki's, I feel like any of those gods, I especially also, you start dealing with gods and, Clash of the Titans, all those type of people, they were banging everybody. So I also feel like if Austin <laughs> Powers could have a threesome with himself and Heather Graham in the post credit scene of Austin Powers 2, The Spy Who Shagged Me. All bets and, off. And we all laughed when he was like, we all sexy bitches. I think then this is okay. Yeah. I, I think agree. if we can all have a good laugh at Mike Myers telling himself he's sexy to his whatever... 10 minutes ago, Austin. It wasn't even the 60s or 70s. It was Austin from 10 minutes ago. I mean, Game of Thrones is arguably like one of the most popular shows ever, of all time. And that had a very casual brother and sisters were hooking up. I feel like Game of Thrones kind of set the bar of like, you can't get worse than this. Anything like this is Jamie and Cersei and like this is Loki and, <laughs> and Sylvia. I feel like they're from other worlds. I feel like that's its so own different. rule. Yeah, yeah these aren't I don't even, they're not even really, like, if I took their DNA, I think it would come up as, like, two different family lines. Yeah. You know, like, I don't think 23andMe is multiversing or anything like that. <laughs> I would yeah. like to say the only reason I'm not shipping it is because I want Loki and Mobius to be a thing. 
Uh, that's I mean, more my shipping side. But, Owen is a silver uh, fox. Is, is getting a lot of love. He's mm-hmm. getting a lot of love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet, Miss Minutes is left out of every shipping She'll conversation. She'll be back. <laughs> I think that's the show, guys. I think that's where we leave you. So send us all your shipping requirements, I suppose. Weigh in on this hotly debated debate, ripping the internet apart (laughs) at a time when unity could not be more important. We are driven down the middle by this conversation. But of course, you should leave us a review. You should leave a comment on the YouTube channel. You should subscribe. You should follow Myself, that as always, Blake Terrence at Terrence Tatum and Jamie at Jamie Cinematics. And you should, of course, follow the show at Hollywood ADI. Uh, we also do other shows on the Hollywood Already Did It podcast channel. Jamie, of course, has her writing at BuzzFeed and comicbook.com. And that's it. 